Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EVN Disrupt podcast. My name is Nejda Zatoryan. I'm the editor of the creative tech section here at EVN Report. Our guest this week was Mariam Torosian, the CEO and founder of SafeView. She joined us to discuss her platform's mission to empower women by providing tools to report cases of sexual and domestic violence, seek help, and to create a virtual safe space for women. We delved into the progress SafeView has made since its inception three years ago, including the thoughtful consideration of various cultural factors that guide their implementation strategies. Mariam also shared with us her insights on the current state of women in the tech industry in Armenia, highlighting the efforts and challenges in ensuring that women not only have access to opportunities, but are also encouraged to found companies and assume leadership roles in the industry. Thank you for listening. Mariam, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting. Let's start with a little bit of your background. I'm curious what you studied, how you got into the world of, of impact entrepreneurship. I'm a lawyer by trade. I did also my master's degree in constitutional law, human rights law. And uh, then my master's thesis was also in intersection with social anthropology. And I got very much interested in different uh, cultures and um, how different cultures interact with different legal systems Mm -hmm. and then uh, I did my PhD research in um, social anthropology and law that brought me to more like (laughs) social anthropology and um, then I got interested also in public health and I did different courses in public health and started teaching public health law so this is my background it has like this mm-hmm. three main uh, pieces, right. let's say. The master's one, when you said it, intersected with how cultures, or I guess how laws need to fit the cultures that they should be applied to is really interesting. Can yeah, that's like um, that? understanding uh, what is the context, what are the um, cultures, traditions, like social structures, and how the law can be efficient or non-efficient if we, for example, bring it from somewhere else, for example, from European Union to Armenia or uh, from other countries and how um, this can change the culture in a country in a good way or in a bad way. And in some cases, it's even impossible to implant something without preliminary uh, work with society. And we see in many cases this is actually happening in different countries. And that's why also there are a lot of contradictions between cultures, legal systems, and let's say even different civilizations. And that was very interesting for me because law is a very dogmatic field Mm. it has a lot of universalism in it Mm. but then you have to add some relativism because cultures and um, development of different societies is a very relativistic movement let's say and that was very interesting for me how we combine universalism with relativism and right it's like a solution that works in portugal doesn't necessarily mean it'll work in the united states or in armenia yeah do you think This is probably a very hard question, but do you think in in the Armenian context that view is given enough weight? Do you think our government considers the relativism of how laws can be applied uh, enough? Or do they look at what works elsewhere and try to stick it here? Well, actually, as a a student some 10 years ago, that was my uh, main concern about uh, how we want to change things uh, in our country and how we are just doing it in a formal textual way not in a way understanding what needs to be changed or what needs to communicate it with society so that we can bring this change and make sure that it will have the desired results and i, I was uh, as a lawyer as also from the point of view of constitutional culture i was looking at all these processes with understanding that okay we have constitution but we don't have 
constitutional culture and how this all leads to uh, a lot of um, misconceptions in a society and how the change that we want to see is not happening. That's why um, we need some preliminary work that, in my opinion, even if it's done, it's not done um, in an efficient, right. complete way. It's a really interesting way to characterize it. We have a constitution, but we don't have a constitutional culture. So it almost voids the constitution of much meaning, unfortunately. <laughs> um, let's let's get to uh, the founding of SafeU. Tell us the story of how and why you decided to start your venture. Um, so I was invited to lead a research on what the World Bank Group, Enterprise Incubator Foundation, and um, Sexual Violence Research Initiative. Uh, it was a global research in understanding if there are any innovations tackling gender-based violence in the world. Uh, and when I started doing this research, I was... Um, pregnant and I told my partner's colleagues that well the research will not last long because right. uh, yeah we'll go to maternity leave but th which never happened actually and um, during my research I understood that there is a huge problem and, and gender-based violence is a human rights problem it's a public health problem it is a social cultural problem and all my background actually was around this issue and I was passionate about startups I was even running a boutique accelerator at the time with my husband in Armenia and um, then I realized that no this is not going well can't be just remain as a research because there is a real need uh, for an innovation technology that can tackle this issue and uh, one event in my life changed also the way I was looking at this because I was about to, like it, it was one month left until I would um, have my baby and at the family gathering an elderly lady asked me, oh you look beautiful and this is your first child and it should be a boy and then I said no, I'm waiting for a daughter, I mm -hmm. smiled to her but then she said and then she approached me and said don't worry the next one will be a boy and then my question to me was why an elderly woman tells another yeah. woman that being a woman which is not even born yet is something undervalued yeah. or not important and the answer to this question is a whole dissertation it's intergenerational it's a lot a lot of stereotypes a lot of like her life her background like all of these things and then I said no this is I'm going I'm going to work and make sure that I'll create something that will make this world a better place mm -hmm. for my daughter that is going to be born. And that's how my journey started. Yeah. I found out something recently that just absolutely blew my mind. As someone who I wasn't born and raised in, in Armenia, but uh, a friend who recently uh, gave birth in Armenia, the medical staff at the hospital that they would go to for checkups and stuff while they were pregnant often lies to uh, them about the gender of their child so that they won't abort the, the child if they know it's a, a girl. And I guess it's something that when I speak to locals, a lot of people know that that is something that happens. But as someone coming from the outside, it was really staggering that, that the problem is that severe, that the medical staff feel the need to lie to their, their patients to avoid them from doing sex-based abortions. So you had these experiences, and you were already both in the public health space through your education, and um, you were in the startup world. And you came to 
you came to the idea of founding SafeU. Um, tell us the first iteration of, of the product. Uh, so in the beginning, I was mainly focused, of course, on safety because uh, women's safety is an urgent priority because uh, 141 women are killed per day by their intimate partners or member of their family just because they are women. Is and that in Armenia, that statistic, or worldwide? No, it's a worldwide experience. Uh, yes, daily. During a year, it's 50,000 women and... Uh, 600,000 women are physically or sexually abused and um, it is an um, urgent priority to make sure that there are some safety uh, measures in place and that was the main focus. That's why actually the product is called Safe You. Uh, but of course, you can't provide safety if you if you don't create also kind of community or support systems around women because there's always a question of trust. Will they trust this a product, this solution to apply when they need it. And that's why we also created this um, community space uh, with forums. In the beginning, it was a very basic app with some safety functions, uh, a network place to just see what are the other organizations, support services that can help them and have, again, basic chats where they can engage with other women and professionals. Well, now it's way more developed because we have more than 83 releases of um, the app. But um, let's say the prototype was the main focus on safety. And actually, we launched the product during um, pandemic during lockdown, that's where um, actually I launched the company and uh, we launched the app in Armenia and one month later we launched it in Georgia because mm. the need was uh, even higher. During lockdown, we saw um, a tremendous increase of domestic violence cases and that's when we actually saw also the need for this kind mm. of product. Tell us a little bit about how the product is actually used. Because um, I remember in the, in the very early days when I first heard about it, it was... Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, for instance, women like walking home late at night or something would be able to find someone that was also walking the same route perhaps and go home together. And uh, well, um, this is more if a woman needs help, like if she's in danger, then she can use her help button. So when she downloads the app and while she's using the app, she can choose and change. She can choose up to three contacts from her contact list. These mm -hmm. are family and friends, up to three contacts from available support services that are onboarded uh, to save you. And they can also activate police. So it's in total seven directions. Um, and when she's in danger, she can just press the help button and all the seven directions will be notified that she's in danger, either through safe you platform that they are using also through sms if they're not using for example personal contacts uh, they will know that she's in danger and immediately you know, audio recording will start in her phone to record the case because in most of the cases of domestic violence and sexual violence um, there is a lack of evidence that mm. it really happened sometimes police arrives and they're just sitting normally having coffee but right. before it was yeah and that's the way safety part works for other parts is mainly the access to resources access to a network section where there are all other organizations not specifically providing services for uh, gender-based violence cases but um, different for example on positive parenting or 
other social services that are available under different categories, as are NGOs, governmental agencies, initiatives, etc. And the third most engaging part of the solution is a form section. These are topical rooms. Uh, created by NGOs or professionals. And women engage in peer-to-peer discussions. They are discussing the topic anonymously. And professionals and NGOs, they provide consultations to to them. It's kind of facilitated peer-to-peer, also kind of um, uh, educational process where women, first of all, support each other by sharing their stories and knowing that no one is alone and also getting some valuable insights from professionals and organizations feeling that also they are supported by advice and consultations. And there is also a space for private consultations, uh, which is only between women and professionals, again, and or organizations. That's um, more or less like providing them consultation. It's awareness raising place for the app and for uh, organizations that are using our platform is mainly using this awareness raising tools, uh, case management, monitoring of cases, um, data analytics, and uh, also shared space for all these agencies and uh, organizations to work together towards the same goal. The case management is used by, for instance, like counselors, people like that, or from authorities as well? By organizations and by counselors that if they are service providers, uh, then yes, uh, mm-hmm. this can be also used. Depending on the country and on the context, for example, at the moment, app uh, is fully live in three countries. We're now expanding to two other countries. And in all countries, it works in a different way. Again, understanding the context right. of the country, legislation, agencies involved, and how what is the best way for them to function mm-hmm. for the best uh, benefit of user. Right, and the culture that, yeah. they, that they're found in. Yes. Right. So in the event where a, a woman who uses the SafeU app feels they're in danger and they use the help button, is it automatically go to all, all seven of those? Yes, all seven members? directions, but also with her geolocation shared with a short message that she's in danger. Right. And the message goes, the message or notification goes through our system. So it goes through SafeU because we are um, covering also the costs of SMS because these women usually are also from vulnerable groups uh, so the app is free but also all the other services that they use within the app right. are free or covered by us so if, if for example if my sister is using it does that mean that i also have the safe you app or no you don't need to have safe you app because it will be a yes a big limitation that's why we right. did it through a text message Tell us a little bit about what the usage of the app is like now in Armenia three years after launching. Uh, how many users we have? Yeah. How many users you have and for lack of a better word, like what, what trends there are and how people are using the app? Well, in the beginning, it was uh, very difficult, actually, because we had um, a lot of regional meetings with uh, different groups of women. And um, because of the stigma that they don't want to be associated with domestic violence, even though they are survivors of domestic violence and uh, it took us a lot of time to understand what are the best ways to promote this product and to create trust because in Armenia we have a a huge um, crisis of trust towards any solution any institution and if if you're launching something new then uh, of course they know want to know who are behind this and uh, why this is created and how this can be helpful and can it be helpful at all for example um, in Georgia, we had only one 
one meeting. I mean, we went there two years after launching SafeU, but we saw that um, Georgian society is way more adaptive to this innovation. Uh, they, uh, we had many cases where SafeU was uh, helpful in severe domestic violence cases and cases of attempted murders, etc. Uh, so we had even lives that were saved thanks to SafeU in Georgia, while in Armenia we're still struggling on finding ways on how to promote. Uh, and even the influencers in Georgia, when they saw this product, they just by their initiative they took and they started promoting this mm. while in armenia we had to like convince uh, influencers to talk about this have like decent contracts with them so mm. that they are also interested in talking about this which means that uh, the social issue itself doesn't have that much awareness in armenia first and secondly we see the trust level and um, adaptiveness to technologies and innovation is higher for example in Georgia than in Armenia. That's why, for example, if in Georgia we have uh, more than um, 25,000 users already, in Armenia we only have 7,000 users, which is... Uh, but also I have to say that all the users that we have in Armenia, they are targeted users, which means they are all uh, women that experience uh, some form of mostly domestic violence or other types of sexual psychological violence but in armenia we of course need to enhance our promotion but sometimes also when we promote this product there is always this also issue that this is not an urgent priority in armenian society we have a security issues right. uh, why we should pay attention to this so it's very difficult to you're almost competing against yes. other issues yeah. in space. When you said that they're, um, in Armenia your users are more targeted, do you mean that they begin using SafeU only after already experiencing some form of domestic or sexual violence? Most of these users, they either test the product, which means that they they're really uh, they experience violence, but they want to still test and test the trust, if they can trust the system. And also... Um, the things that are discussed in the forum section is not only about their like well-being, well-being or self-care. Something that we see um, in in Georgian discussions, in Armenian discussions, we see like a severe cases of psychological violence, cases of uh, a husband uh, not only beating his wife but also kids. I mean, this is like more um, cases where women understood that. The need is so urgent that even if they don't trust or it's kind of exit for them. And uh, that's what we see through also our data analytics system, the main like trends and tendencies in mm -hmm. within our Armenian users. Right. Armenia and Georgia in many ways are similar countries and societies, although I'm sure there are important differences. Do you have a sense of why Georgia, 30 years post the fall of the Soviet Union, has gotten to a place where they would adapt a solution like SafeU faster and easier than Armenia? Do you have a sense of what in their history over the last few decades made well, that? Well, maybe it's because they started this um, social movements and uh, revolution much earlier than mm. we did, and their civil society uh, organizations were also um, largely supported by also foreign different a agencies and s supporters. And uh, yes, their civil society is uh, vibrant, very active. They have women's movement in their country. Right. They do the protests when they need to. And um, I would say that every social issue have like separate group of activists that are like involved that can 
make pressure on the government to change things. While in Armenia, maybe because of um, our main priority issue, which is a security, then we don't concentrate that much on different social issues that we have. Women, children, elderly, mm-hmm. healthcare. I mean, all of these things are um, not that prioritized because of the ongoing situation right. with the war. So the number of advocates for a solution like SafeU in Georgia is just greater than in, yes. in Armenia? Yeah. When you're launching SafeU in a new country, but even the countries you've already launched in, I'm assuming there needs to be government uh, buy-in, right? Because if you're automatically alerting uh, authorities and, and other bodies that are controlled by the government, um, they need to agree to it first. So when you were having the conversations with the Armenian government to launch SafeU here, what was their reception like? What is it that they wanted to see or what were their... Um, initial feedback? Well, first of all, I have to say that we don't specifically need government to collaborate with us because we understand that in the countries where the problem is even greater than the government, they don't have agenda or willingness mm. to tackle this issue. For us, uh, even one organization can be enough to start uh, working there because we understand that technology is there where there are a lot of gaps and the technology can close actually these gaps. For example, we are now launching in Zimbabwe with um, several organizations. The government is not going to collaborate because there is no collaboration right now. Um, UN agencies are going to uh, support uh, the initiative too. Um, But um, as it goes to police, it will go indirectly from the organizations and they will also kind of control the case on their end so follow up and see if police adequately uh, treated the case mm-hmm. or not um, in in armenia case uh, actually our first supporter in armenia was uh, united nations population fund because they also have the mandate to tackle gender-based violence and also thanks to them um, we started uh, negotiations with police and uh, at the moment, we are uh, creating uh, a safety extension for Armenian police, which is a great uh, development. So it's more institutional integration uh, to, from safety to police. Uh, we are um, collaborating with the Ministry of Social Affairs uh, and uh, Human Rights Defender Office. And I have to say that all these collaborations are uh, very fruitful and we can definitely see the uh, readiness uh, from the government to collaborate and adopt things that can, um, let's say, make the process of helping women more efficient. Uh, of course, when we are working with government, we have we are very mindful of the fact that everything is happening in a slow pace. Yeah. Uh, but at least the willingness is there and um, the collaboration mm-hmm. is. There. Can you expand a bit on what you mean by integrating with the police? So at the moment, our alerts can go to police either as a like ordinary phone call or mm-hmm. through an email. But to integrate with them, we need some um, system integration to be able to send them more information. Uh, right. For example, uh, for the geolocation of the user, which is crucial. Uh, we had cases where um, the alert was received by a different organization, but we had then to call police and explain all the coordinates of mm-hmm. where the user is. And that was very different, difficult, and it was a case where um, a husband almost killed with a knife um, his wife. And if we were not efficient in right. uh, explaining where the situation is happening and what is the situation, then it could be 
like do you have some sort of like hotline or like operators that are constantly on call to make calls like that or well, in, in, staff, well I mean. in Armenia, we understood that we also need uh, not only to be a technology provider, innovation provider, as we are in other countries, but in Armenia, we also need to have a kind of organization that will be service provider. So that's why we created the foundation to be able to do mm. uh, small projects through SafeU, even though SafeU works uh, with Women's Support Center, which is the largest um, service provider in Armenia. And yes, it goes to them, and then they decide if they should refer this case to police or not through legislation and if there right. is a consent from the uh, user. So it de again, depends. Sometimes it can come to SafeU because we also have lawyers, psychologists, and so we can also provide more or less the same services that, as other NGOs can do. And for us, it is also a way to learn how we can improve the technology to make sure that the user journey is um, more friendly and right. efficient. Right. So today you guys are in Armenia, Georgia, and Iraq, I believe. And you said you're expanding to two more countries, Zimbabwe and, and can you well, tell us Well, we that? already, the biggest part of um, implementation in Zimbabwe is completed. Uh, we just need to open the app for users. I mean, the stakeholders are engaged. They know how to use the uh, platform. And this is the biggest part of, uh, let's say, implementation. And then it goes, we open the app in their language, which is already translated. And then they start promoting and doing projects like pushing content mm -hmm. through the app. And in Rwanda, uh, we are working with multiple um, agencies. So it's, first of all, government. Gover the willingness came from government to work on this project. This so government. They, like, they reached out to yes, you? Yes. Uh, yeah. Two uh, major uh, NGOs in the field and um, UNFPA. Uh, so it's going to be a um, bigger project, multi-stakeholder project uh, with um, with long-term plans to like we will pilot for three months, three to six months, and then we will transition to scale and have the whole like Rwanda as a country mm -hmm. within the project. So we are uh, still um, understanding what is the best way, w which agencies going to play what kind of role. Mm -hmm. And this is how it's happening. In every country we go, we first understand what is the landscape from whom the interest comes. If it's from UN agency, then it's a different procedure. If it's from a group or consortium of NGOs, it's different. And with the government, we know that it's going to take longer. Mm -hmm. But we have to plan for at least two, three years of implementation and all the necessary steps to achieve. That's the average time it takes to launch the platform in a country? Two uh, or three no, years? usually to launch it takes from one to four months. Uh, but with the government, it yes, sure, right. it can take up sure. to one year. Uh, sure. Even because yeah. of their uh, fiscal year, yeah. bureaucracy, understanding all this, yeah. where the data is going to be deployed, what are the um, like legislation limitations, etc. Right. Right. Earlier you spoke about how uh, domestic violence is a public health issue. And I think too, maybe the average person, it's hard for them to understand why it's valuable to look at not just domestic violence, but a whole variety of issues that often don't fit what the average person has in their head of what public health is. Why is it advantageous or productive to approach an issue like domestic violence through the lens of public health? And what does that even mean to, to look at it through public health? Uh, you know, the problem is that one in three women experience some form of physical or sexual violence. So their physical or sexual health and uh, their mental health 
is damaged. And because of this also, if we go to also economic, because there's a public health impact, but also there is an uh, economic impact, we lose from 2 to 3.7% of our GDPs because of this issue. And actually in Armenia, is uh, this is very visible because... Um, women don't participate in economy. And in mm. many cases, it's a form of gender-based violence that didn't allow them to participate in economy. Right. But when we look at, uh, unfortunately in Armenia, there is no data how much um, expenditure from our public health uh, budgets go to treat women with mental or physical reproductive, sexual reproductive health uh, problems that are coming actually from the violence. And in most of the cases, all the stress associated with this or the problem that they are unable to have kids uh, also because of um, selective abortions, sex selective abortions. In most of the cases, like sex selective abortion is happening when the, it's the first pregnancy and they would um, ask, the not ask, they would make the woman who doesn't want to do abortion to do abortion because she uh, needs to have a boy. And then it, the why it is a public health issue because it first first of all it affects women's health and indirectly if it affects women's health then it indirectly affects our economy right. and if there is no economy then how we're going to develop this country. That's right. a whole circle of things. That's why we always say if we can find and establish peace in a family between two people, then we will have peace and prosperity for the entire society and country. But right. this is not unfortunately happening. Our families are not healthy. Maybe from outside they look healthy, but from inside they are not. And coming back to sex selective abortion uh, issue, uh, from the data that UNFPA provides, up uh, until 2050, we will um, not have 90,000 girls Hmm. to be born because wow. they would just be aborted. It's a staggering number. Um, we can dive into those topics for, for several more hours, but I want to be respectful of your time. Tell us the format of Safe You. Is it a for-profit venture or is it a non-profit? Well, it's a social enterprise. It's a social impact tech startup. And uh, of course, uh, we uh, the main purpose why we're doing this because we believe that technologies, the tremendous opportunities that technologies and innovations play in our lives can can be and should be served for the for humanity. And um, we believe that by empowering women, we are also contributing to healthier societies, mm -hmm. communities, and families, and to peace right. <laughs> eventually. And um, because of this, our purpose, our mission is key to what we are doing. So every, it's a mission-driven uh, efforts and actions, but to make sure that we can reach our goals to become a global solution to a global issue, we need to make sure that we have a sustainable model because technology is something that requires a lot of investment, that requires a lot of uh, talent to work on it. And that's why, uh, yes, the model is through social entrepreneurship, we're achieving sustainable development goals, we're achieving gender equality, uh, but the most important part, piece of it remains, of course, the social impact. Does the revenue come from, like for instance, the governments that uh, you work with or the... Yeah, when we scale up the solution, every country mm, pays for some uh, implementation fee, again, depending on many factors, how we're doing this, and then monthly technical support fee. Mm -hmm. Got it. You said something really interesting earlier. You said that 
you want there to be technological solutions for these various societal issues that we have. Oftentimes, when it's not a um, social enterprise or an impact enterprise, it's more of just like a technology looking for a problem. But with social enterprises, you almost have to start with the, the fundamental root, like societal issue that you're tackling. How do you evaluate whether something should have a technological solution or not? Or if it's a technological solution is something that is not necessarily going to be helpful to that specific societal issue? How do you evaluate that? Well, uh, of course, there are a lot of issues that can't be um, solved through technology. And actually, te- in even in our case, technology is there to enhance the efforts. It's not there to replace the existing uh, mechanisms and uh, structures. It's rather there to um, improve and enhance already existing capabilities mm-hmm. that we have. Um, and in, in our case, I would say we understood that there is a big issue of um, geographical and f- financial barriers that women are unable to access already existing solutions, already existing knowledge or, or existing community because there are many women that are not even allowed, for example, in Armenia to get out of their own apartment or house and they need some advice they need to talk to other women we had in our uh, forum discussions some women that said that this is the first time that i'm talking to a gynecologist which like her age uh, as she said i think it was 35 or 40 which is abnormal in a normal life but this is something which is happening and we understood that in this case we need a remote solution and we need to make sure that we can increase the possibility to receive help uh, because in cases where a woman just calls someone and someone is not picking the phone, that's a, a problem. But o- of course, I recognize the fact that in some of uh, social issues that doesn't require this, uh, let's say, network solutions, remote solutions, then we need to come up with other kind of social innovation that will not necessarily require technology input there. Right. Right. It's not just a hammer looking for a nail, so to speak. Yeah. Another thing I, I meant to ask earlier was you said that their recordings are done through the app. Women can record an incident that is happening and it's, I guess, it's automatically sent or stored somehow that can be used later on. Have you already had instances where that has been used in some sort of crim- uh, case in, in courts? or? Yes, we have cases, and the most prominent case, again, comes from Georgia. It is a case of a woman and a three-year-old daughter. Uh, they got attacked by ex-husband um, in a street where there was nobody around, and he wanted to kill them. And thanks to the app, first of all, like police came and arrested the guy, and he didn't understand even what is happening because he didn't notice anything right. because she pressed the button be- before he snatched the form from her hands and then the audio recording was used by a court as a pivotal piece of evidence proving that it was um, a case of attempted murder and that's why the criminal is now behind the bars because he didn't manage to do harm to um, his daughter and uh, ex-wife. There's already precedent set of safety recordings being used in criminal trials. Let's pivot a little bit and talk a little bit about um, women in tech in Armenia. Uh, So this is a topic that in Armenia gets talked about quite a lot. There are some numbers that are shown to say that suggest that um, in some ways Armenia is ahead of uh, many countries in terms of um, engaging more women in the tech sector. There's different ways you can look at those numbers. Give us a more honest and uh, sober look at at where we are in the world and what things you still think we need to to overcome in order to ensure that all women in Armenia who want to be working in tech can do so and thrive in their 
careers? So, of course, I, I would again start from the limitations that women are not even allowed sometimes to participate in economy. And again, like violence against women is another barrier why they can't because there's always this concern that she will go to work and then she can be sexually harassed, etc. And there's another layer right now with the technology. It's a technology facilitated gender based violence and that's that is limiting actually women to participate in digital economy. That's a big uh, another like ish, global issue that we're facing and there's a very little awareness about this right now. But as we see digital economies developing and we see women facing a new layer of violence, which is technology facilitated violence, then uh, it becomes another barrier and which is actually present in Armenia, but we don't have enough knowledge and how to again find solutions for this. Uh, well, I would say that if it comes to software engineers, um, product managers, project managers, we see a lot of women involved and actually the numbers that we're very proud of, um, they seem to be real. But when it comes to founders, entrepreneurs, right. then um, actually I would say that there is a big issue. Um, every time when I was participating in any startup competition in Armenia, uh, most of like judges, they're men. And for me, for example, it was very difficult to compete with other men in front of men with the issue that I am working on. Like it's a very women specific, even though it's a s society, but m men, they usually don't have empathy to this uh, subject and it's difficult to create and then show that it's not a um, non-profit job, it's a proper startup with a proper like business plan and um, I would say that through my journey, from my perspective, I have seen a lot of, uh, or at um, different conferences which are not specifically like Femino, which is focused on women. If it's, uh, for example, I don't know, Seven Star Startup Summit or other things, mostly you see men as speakers and right. men, 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 and it's. Uh, I don't think that it's very encouraging <laughs> for younger. Uh, girls and um, women, but we see that we have a lot of programs, initiative encouraging women. We see a lot of efforts and investment in, in that field too from different agencies, mm -hmm. institutions, which is of course very good. Yeah. I've been a part of throughout my like four years now in Armenia. I've heard in along several conversations that you know there's no barrier. Yeah, I'll use the words that they use. There's no barriers to women starting companies in in Armenia. And oftentimes that's said by men who just look at it from a situation of, well, like if they came and pitched to us or, um, you know, tried to do this thing or that thing, you know, they could succeed just as the male founders in Armenia have. But obviously that doesn't look at sort of deeper cultural issues of whether or not women feel encouraged to start companies or if there's sort of cultural and mental barriers that are enforced as to whether or not they can start a venture or not. Looking at it from your, pers uh, I believe the word you used was like a relativist perspective of relative to Armenia's culture. What are some ways or initiatives you think can be implemented to break down those cultural barriers for more women to join the world of tech entrepreneurship? And have you seen anything that actually works here? Well, actually, I would say that uh, I have been participating in many different acceleration, incubation projects as a, a mentor. And uh, the main problem that I would see, I see a lot of women motivated, trying to do things. Of course, there are a lot of problems finding other founders or knowledge 
our skills. But I see that in Armenia right now we have a lot of um, we have a lot of knowledge. We have mm-hmm. different uh, schools, boot camps, this that. Uh, but when it comes to really start doing something, then there is a lack of funding, lack of investment. And when you look at mo- the investments in Armenia, they w- you would again see that most of it goes to male, like the startups that are funded by men. I don't know how uh, this is happening actually, but I would say that uh, we rec- we need probably some investment that will be that will have some gender lens in it. Like that a venture also, fund yes. that invests specifically in women. And we funds. also see actually um, more and more women in social entrepreneurship in Armenia. Most of social um, entrepreneurs in Armenia are women. So maybe it can be something more about sustainability, creating mm. value for society and using tech for it or other things. But uh, for sure, I think um, that the investment and banks, why not about loans to they uh, should be somehow focused on women. In order to sort of bridge that gap until we get to a more equal place. Mayam, our last question that we ask all our guests is, um, where do you hope to see your your organization save you in five years? Well, in five years to be present in, um, actually I have an answer for seven years. (laughs) No problem, seven (laughs) years. (laughs) In seven years, we're safe you. Yes, yes, we want to be present in um, at least uh, 60 countries and uh, to have uh, 100 million users daily uh, help at least um, 60 women to not die from what they're dying from, just from the violence in a a family. And uh, that's more or less... that's what again it's more a purpose Mm -hmm. of course i can say what should be our valuation how we are going to exit or adopt it by many big governments like united states but the main focus i will just keep uh, this uh, 100 million women that will benefit from this solution and have and live in peace have lives in where they can thrive actually Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mayim. I learned a lot from the conversation, and there's so many topics that we've started talking about that we could speak about for many more hours. So I hope you'll you'll join us again someday in the future Thank to, you, to talk about that. Thank you, Mayim. <laughs>